0: Hello and welcome to the Highwood Health show. I am your host, Dr. E, the Stem Cell Guy. In this episode, I am joined by Dr. Karen Shanks. Dr. Shanks is an MD and runs a functional medicine practice in Iowa City. Her work is inspired by buddy-mind principles and the wisdom gleaned from the transformational journeys of thousands of clients over her 30-year career, which, if you're about to watch this podcast and video... She doesn't even look older than 30, so she must be doing something right. In fact, she's been documenting her and her patient's journey through all this time and has published her experience in a beautiful book called Heal, a nine-stage roadmap to recover energy, reverse chronic illness, and claim the potential of a vibrant new you. Stick around to learn what each of these nine steps are and how you too can start to heal. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to our show. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. New episodes come out every Wednesday. And for everyone else, welcome back. Before we go into today's interview, let me remind you that this show is sponsored and produced by another one of my companies, Podcastinabox.co. I came up with the idea for podcast in a Box after I realized that, well, I had been meaning to start a podcast for over two years and just kept putting it off. I had already spent a couple thousand dollars in courses and I was a member of different forums and Facebook groups and I had read two books about it and basically had been quote unquote learning how to do it while not actually doing it. If that sounds at all familiar to you and you are tired of seeing so many new podcasts come up and yours is still just an idea, then Podcast in a box might be exactly what you need. Our team at Podcast in a Box can handle everything and anything that has to do with planning, launching, editing, publishing, and marketing your podcast. We can do as much or as little as you need us to do to finally get your podcast going and getting you the attention of your ideal audience. To find out more and see if your idea is worthy of a podcast, just head on over to Podcast in a Box.co and click on the appropriate button. When prompted, make sure to mention Dr. E's Highway Health show and the How Did You Hear About Us section. But now... Let's get to what you're here for. Here is my conversation with Dr. Karen Shanks. And remember, you are on the Highway to Health, and I'm your guide to get you there.
1: Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E. The Stem Cell Guy where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's
0: your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Highway to Health Show. I'm your host, Dr. E, the Stem Cell Guy. And joining me today is Dr. Karen Shanks. And, you know, I'll just let her share a little bit more about this whole thing, but I'm very excited about this conversation because I think that she and I have a lot of ideas in common. I think we agree on a lot of things regarding health. But most importantly, I think she has some tremendous knowledge and expertise to share with you regarding health, wellness, and obviously resilience. So Dr. Shanks, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you today? How's everything going? It's
2: going well. (laughs) It's going very well. Very quiet in my office today. (laughs)
0: I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. So why don't you just obviously say hi to our audience and uh, share with us a little bit more about your own health journey, because from reading your book, I gathered that it's not that you just went to school and learned all these things, but you went through your own personal health journey.
2: I did. I did. I mean, I'm, I'm a conventionally trained internal medicine doctor. I went to medical school at the University of Chicago, went through all the training And the first thing I learned was when I finished my training was that I really didn't have what patients needed from me, the people who came to me with chronic complex illness. But then around that same time, having gone through years of medical training, and I was a long distance runner and a vegetarian, and went through two pregnancies and found myself crashing and burning with severe fatigue and joint pain and migraine headaches and a lot of things that were just considered to be um, normal by conventional medicine for a person my age doing what I was doing, balancing work with raising kids and et cetera, et cetera. But I, I didn't feel good and I wasn't happy and I wasn't enjoying my life. And that combined with wanting to do something better for my the clients who were coming to see me just led me into a deeper exploration of nutrition and other ways of thinking about medicine and health and, you know, what we could do to support our total wellness. And through that, I found the Institute for Functional Medicine and did my functional medicine training, which is a holistic person-oriented systems biology approach to uh, clinical medicine, which was extremely helpful, basically took me back to my roots of biological sciences and how our bodies work which gets lost in clinical medicine training as we get more into the disease model and how to how to apply treatment protocols and drug protocols to diseases rather than what do we do now to prevent disease and to support our wellness and our energy, etc. So yeah, it was a combination of a uh, my own journey to wanting to feel great and also wanting to offer something to my chronic clients. And so today my practice is, medical practice is based on the principles of functional medicine, body, mind, medicine. I do a lot of nutrition work and teach people how to take care of themselves and how to sort of reclaim their power and become their own inner healers and their own doctors, in essence. And it's fun. It's fun to practice that way.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. That's exactly what I was going to say. I've seen people who listen to the podcast know that one of my businesses is coaching and consulting with physicians, helping them run their own practices more efficiently so that they can enjoy practicing again. And one of the things that I constantly hear is that frustration. And it's not that they don't enjoy the working with patients, it's just that they don't necessarily enjoy the fact that many of them don't have a solution for their problems, don't have true recovery or recovered patients. Sure, they manage them very well. And a lot of the times they keep them from dying, which is great, but they don't necessarily have the tools or traditional medical training doesn't necessarily give us the tools and the skills to bring people back from disease to optimal health. And their journeys are very similar to what you've recently shared. A lot of doctors, they have to go through that themselves for them to realize that, huh, oh, yeah, maybe maybe there is something different. Maybe there's a different way of practicing.
2: That's right. And learning to go back, when we learn to go back to our roots, and we all studied biochemistry and physiology and cell biology and all that fun stuff back in medical school. And, you know, there is a real world application for those sciences that we lose when we go into conventional clinical training, and we begin to learn the disease model for medicine, which is great for patching up acute urgent problems quickly, which is really what it was designed to do. And thank God, if we have a a ruptured appendix or a broken leg or are having a, an acute myocardial infarction, we want that kind of medicine. Last year, I had a retina, a spontaneous retina tear. I was really grateful for that kind of medicine. So it absolutely has its place. But when we're talking about wellness and energy and preventing diseases before they have a chance to take hold in our lives, it's a whole different approach. And the disease model... The acute care model of conventional medicine doesn't work for
0: it. Exactly. I think, and it sounds a little bit cliche, but I think that optimal health is not the absence of disease. The absence of disease might be here and obviously disease is over here, but optimal health is all the way down this way. And we cannot just expect as, uh, at least from my point of view, I don't think that physicians with all the training that we have and all the experience, the expertise and the vocation to serve patients, I don't think we should be comfortable and satisfied with just bringing them from disease to absence of disease. I think we should all strive to bring them over to optimal health. And in reality, if you ask any doctor why they went into medicine, they'll tell you that because they want to help people recover their optimal health. They don't say, I just want to make sure that they're no longer sick. (laughs) They'll, They'll tell that they want optimal health. So, let's switch gears a little bit here because, you know, like I said, I think you and I agree on a lot of things. But why don't you share with us a little bit more about one of the things that I really liked about your book is how you divided it into all these nine domains. And it's something that you don't see typically from a traditionally trained doctor, as you very well said. We have become more and more specialized in smaller and smaller things. And we tend to compartmentalize everything that happens in the body. But in reality, it's all interconnected. And I think you did a great job of putting it together in these nine domains. So how did that come about?
2: It came about really from my clients needing to have a way to see that Larger roadmap, and I call my book a roadmap, so that you can look out and you can see the terrain of what it means to be a human being, and all these elements of our humanness that influences our well-being and our optimal health, as you say. And it isn't just the physical aspects of our biology; it's also how we deal with our emotional life. It's how we deal with our thoughts and how we think about things, and you know, we know that all of these things interact and are integrated. And it gets really hard, I think, from the perspective of a client who wants to achieve that optimal health and wants to work at it. And I'm kind of holding the space for where we're going and all the components of sort of the care plan or the journey that we're taking together, but they really need something to look at for themselves. They need to see that, get that bird's eye view of the roadmap. And then They can usually pick out what areas they need to work on. And then we can zero in and work really hard on on one area or a couple of different areas. So it really was inspired by my clients who just really needed to have that kind of resource to have with them, to refer to, to remind them of where we're going and how everything interrelates and interconnects.
0: Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction that you make that it all depends on where they're starting from. It's not like, okay, this is the recipe and this is step number one they are all interconnected. And as a matter of fact, you have a very interesting diagram of how one kind of like overflows into the next one and into the next one, because they really are, they are part of this one whole thing. And you cannot just have one isolated from the others. And it's very interesting to me to listen how you work with your clients through this, depending on what, where they're at and what is their biggest need at the time. So those are very, very interesting concepts. Now, in your book, however, you start, and the first one of these that you explore is letting go. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean here?
2: Yes. So it was interesting. It took me a while to figure out what the order was, because everything is sort of interrelated. All the different aspects of self-care are so interrelated. But what I realized in working with my clients and with myself as well is that when we're making behavior change we're taking on a new self-care practice we're changing our diets maybe or we're trying to start an exercise program or get more sleep we really have to make space for it our lives are full they're busy they're you know they're filled to the brim and we have to it, it's very important that we step back and figure out where are we going to where are we going to put this you know where are we going to place this so there's the element of creating space for what we need for healing. I think there's also the element of creating space for becoming the observers of our own life, that we need to slow down, ratchet things down just enough that we can start to watch ourselves and pay attention. Because if we're not observers of ourselves and we can't really orchestrate you know, our lives in a thoughtful, mindful way. And the other piece with letting go is, is, so I call it letting go of the toxins, irritants, and negative energy of our lives. The other piece to that is getting out those perhaps biological irritants that are roadblocks to having a normal, healthy internal biology, environmental toxins, food toxins, and irritants. Oftentimes, if we can just get those things out of the picture, healing can move along at a very, sometimes it's all we need to do. We just have to pull out a few roadblocks and people flourish, you know? So it's kind of a big chapter, but the larger idea is just getting the roadblocks out, out of the way. And sometimes those roadblocks can be thoughts and ideas that we have, like, you know, I don't have time for this, you know, or a lot of people feel, kind of overwhelmed and ashamed that they're sick, you know, or they feel that they're not worthy of the time and attention that they need in order to, you know, change their lives in the ways they need to, to become well. So there's a variety of things that need to be considered, I think before the rest, so we can create that space.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that a lot of the times people even feel not like it is their fault, but they feel like they're sentenced to their disease their diagnosis or their condition. They're kind of like, well, you know what? It runs in my family. Everyone that I know is overweight or everyone has low energy or it's always been like this or, you know, or whatever. Even us as doctors, a lot of the times we're guilty of giving them these dead sentences when we say, well, guess what? You've got diabetes and there's no cure for it. So then people go like, oh, well, there's no cure for it. So I might as well just let go. And yeah, I don't think that's serving us very well a lot of the times.
2: They think they're broken and they think there's no fix. Yeah. But we know better. We know, I mean, epigenetics is what we manifest in our lives is a relationship between our genetics and the environment and our lifestyle. We have control over so much of that. Our genes are not our destiny. What happened with our parents are not our destiny. That's a message of hope. That's a powerful thing for people to learn.
0: Yeah, I think that's been a tremendous breakthrough, discovering the epigenetics of everything and how we can influence it. Because people used to think that, well, if it's in my genes, it's kind of like my blueprint and there's nothing I can do about it. It's like, no, you, you're kind of like leaning that way. but There's a lot you can do about it. There's a lot that you can take into control. And when we see this all the time, families and everyone's overweight or everyone has a problem, but the one doesn't. And when you look closely, that one person lives differently. And they have the same genes or or pretty much the same genes. However, they took control of these different issues and they let go. And I've often said that a lot of the times recovering or achieving optimal health is about adding and start doing certain things. But most of the time, it's about removing certain other things that we're doing to ourselves. So that's why I personally really like that you started with this one. And now that you explained it to me, it also explains and really opens the door as to why the very next one was a chapter about love and loving yourself and connecting can you expand a little bit more about that
2: yes yes and the chapter really covers you know what you would expect the health benefits of love and i talk a lot about the heart math institute and what they've their research about love and gratitude those emotions of love and how that makes our heart healthier and more adaptable they call that heart rate variability We improve upon that, and then when we improve the adaptability and the health of the heart, we actually improve the health of our brain and our ability to think, and it affects everything, everything downstream. Like the heart is the center, it's the core. But I also get into very strongly the whole discussion about self love because self care is self love. It's a it's self love as the verb, and that's a real sticking point for a lot of folks. And they often aren't conscious of how the, and this is, I think, especially true for women, although correct me if you think I'm wrong, but women are, you know, were raised um, to be caretakers. And so the people that they take, care which is a beautiful thing, but often those folks that, you know, we take care of, take a higher level of priority And that can be a real problem. You know, if a woman is working full time and picking the kids up after work and coming home and fixing dinner and then feels she's got to get the chores done and then, you know, isn't getting enough sleep and isn't eating well and is stressed and doesn't have any downtime, that's a huge problem. So we have to figure out how to how does she become a priority in her own life?
0: Without feeling the guilt, because that's yes. also something that I've seen a lot when women start. Because you can tell them all you want. You need to put yourself first. And they'll say, like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Because cognitively, it makes sense when you hear it. But then comes the guilt of actually putting yourself first, of saying, you know what? I need to take this time off. And I need to leave my kids with so-and-so for a couple of hours. Or I need to do these things. Then they feel guilty because oh my God, I'm no longer that, or I'm not that super mother who does everything. And I'm not that perfect picture, perfect, you know, working mom who manages to juggle everything in life. And is like, that really doesn't exist. And if you need it, you need it.
2: That's right. And when we take care of ourselves first, and we fill our tank first, we have more to give. And we're better parents, and better friends, and better spouses, and better everything.
0: Exactly. Yeah, you're able to give more the fuller you are, but you need to refill from time to time in order for you to be able yes. to continue giving.
2: Regularly <laughs> refill. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: Totally agree with you. Now, <laughs> and honestly, this is something that we hear often, and we try to address regularly. And and I use so in my clinical background, I ran a regenerative medicine clinic, and we treated a lot like. If, large number of autistic patients. So I I was very involved in the autistic community. And these mothers, like on top of everything that a regular mom does, they also care for special needs kids. And a lot of the times they have two kids with special needs and now they have to be juggling diet and they have to be juggling learning things that they didn't know before and it's so hard when you see them and they're burnt out and they're 35 37 and they look like they're in their late 50s and you say listen you need to take care of yourself this is literally going to kill you if you don't so i think it's such a difficult task to getting that message through
2: it is very difficult and it often ju- it's a process right it's just a process of supporting, of looking for those signs, you know, and being, and being able to, as a clinician, being able to have a practice where I have the time to sit with people and hear about what's going on, and then be able to pick up on those issues that are going on behind the scenes that may not come out in a, a clinical setting where there isn't time for them to, you know, to talk about everything that's going on.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure. Because what happens a lot of the times is. We don't have the time as doctors to really listen to them. And we're just looking at the data. Data is very, very cold. Sure, it's objective, but it's very cold. We don't get the context. We don't get why that person might be having X or Y. And I think that's a big part of the problem. It's what you explained in the book as well. You were kind of hoping at one point that the labs would come out all broken because then that would explain something, but it didn't. (laughs) They were still coming out normal.
2: Right. <laughs> exactly
0: and uh-huh. how often how often have you heard that story before from patients and from everyone how often did you have a patient walk into your office and you ran labs and everything came back normal and the patient's still telling you listen i, I just feel like crap <laughs> and you're like well i don't i don't see anything
2: wrong exactly and then my job is okay the labs are normal but you don't feel well we've got work to do
0: exactly yeah i think that's super valuable now let's go into resilience and this is something that i've spoken about before. I've interviewed some people who talk about resilience, but I think that you bring it up in a slightly different way. And I think it's very interesting. I think it's very valuable. You and I were talking before we started recording about how crucial it is right now through this COVID pandemic that we're going through, this crisis. So can you share with us a little bit more about what your concept for resilience is and, and why you think it is important to develop it?
2: Well, I think resilience is a, it's a term that I think encapsulates the resilience, the, the way I define it, first of all, is just that resilience is when we have the strength and the energy and the adaptability to face life's challenges. And that's physical, it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual, it encompasses all of who we are. And it takes self-care. It takes a lot of self-care to acquire that resilience. And That's what allows us to be able to sort of roll with the punches. And, you know, a a pandemic comes along and we can, we're strong and we thrive and we do well. A huge stressor, a huge emotional stressor comes along. We can manage it. We've got the internal resources. We can, again, roll with the punches. But every time we face a challenge, it requires internal resources, right? And those need to be Replaced and repleted. So that's where self care comes in. We've got to eat well so we have the nutrients to support the resilience factors in our biology, right? We need to be able to make energy when we need to. We need to sleep well and we need to move our bodies and exercise and have love and connection and all these things. These are all part of what makes us able to manage life's challenges. We're built to we're built to face challenge. Challenge actually makes us stronger, better, more robust, right? It's We die without challenge. It's part of how we're designed. We're wired for it. But we have to support ourselves. It requires support through self-care.
0: Yeah, because there is, at least from how I see it, there is this physical resilience. So it means us being physically robust like having a robust immune system like having a you know strong muscles like having strong bones And then there's also the emotional and the psychological resilience of not being able to get knocked down easily, of being able to bounce forward. And I remember talking about this with Christopher McKinley, and he's a U.S. military trainer on resilience specifically. And and that's what he was saying. It's like, listen, let's stop talking about bounce back and we should bounce forward. And when he talks about resilience, he says, imagine that you're a golf ball and not an egg, because if you're a golf ball and you get hit... It just takes it and it goes forward. An egg breaks. So those were his concepts and they've stuck with me. And I think they're so true right now. Another thing that you and I were talking about before we started recording was how certain people are being affected by COVID and how we're currently seeing, now that we have wider tests, we're seeing that there's so many more people who have been exposed and yet they're not developing symptoms. And over 90% of people who have had any kind of symptoms or who have ended up in the hospital have some sort of underlying comorbidities. So, you know, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, even just being overweight. So that is not being resilient
2: when we start to see those diseases manifest themselves, the body has lost resilience. It's lost its ability to function in a normal way and to be adaptable. And we have, the the good news is, is we have control over that. We can change that. We could even reverse a lot of those chronic illnesses. And through what we do for ourselves, through self-care, and that's, you know, I I see that in my practice every day, and I'm sure that you did as well, that's something that we can change. So, yeah, I, I see this whole, the crux of this pandemic as a global loss of resilience, and we need to build that back, and it, you know, it has to do with people and how they take care of themselves, has to do with our healthcare system and its priorities, has to do with our Food, you know, how we grow our food and our lifestyle and the health of our planet. I mean, it's at every uh level. We have a lot of work to
0: do. A lot. <laughs> you know what? And it's 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 been an eye-opener for the entire world when we are literally brought to our knees by a virus. Because we tend to think that, like, oh come on, it's 2020 and we're past, you know, the, the, the pests of, of you know so many centuries ago. And you look at what You know, what's happening right now? And this virus has literally brought us to our knees, not because it's killing a lot of people, but because it has forced us to stop and reevaluate and see how fragile we've become. And we're not supposed to be fragile, we're supposed to be resilient. We're supposed to be able to take something like this. Our immune system should be able to take something like this. So I think it's great that you're bringing it up and continuing to talk about self care and resilience. The next chapter, and, and probably we shouldn't be getting a lot into this one because it's one that I constantly drill on here, it is sleep. But I think you have some very important points that you make here. Why is not only sleep, because sleep, we know that we need to sleep and rest and do all those things, but you also talk about being on and being off and having that time to be on to be on off and i think you call it uh, to pause and to rest so yeah rest pause and exactly quiet. exactly That's right. <laughs> exactly so so why is why is this important uh, how do you recognize these and and i completely agree with you by the way but i think that most people just talk about yeah at night you should sleep and you should sleep well and sleep hygiene and all those things but there's also this other concept
2: yeah absolutely we need to be able to turn on and off and a lot of that i think has to do with just being present. And I talk a lot about being present throughout the book as sort of a, it's a thread that goes throughout the book and throughout all the elements of self-care, because we have to be able to, as I was saying earlier, we have to learn to become aware and to be present so that we can observe ourselves and direct ourselves and direct our lives and assess ourselves so that we can also see all the beautiful things in our world you know it's really the magic it's the it's kind of the process and the path as I like to say in my book that it's both our path and our prize because it's our path it's sort of our method for directing our lives but presence is also how we are able to take in all the beautiful things that are in the world around us right that give us pleasure and make us happy and make life worth living
0: exactly and, and that's the only way when we're oscillating is the only way that we can really get to our peaks so if we're on all the time we're gonna have to be on at a higher level than if we were able to okay so we get to a peak and then we rest and then we get back up and and it doesn't just apply physically people whenever i talk about this concept people think that sure you you know like We think about athletes. Sure, of course, they cannot perform at 100% every day, they need to rest and they need to recover. But the same thing happens mentally, the same thing happens cognitively. So if we're constantly like if we do a highly technical cognitive kind of work, and we don't take a day off, then it's going to take a toll on us and we're going to be performing much lower. We see that with physicians all the time. That's one of the symptoms of burnout. And right now we're seeing it more and more as they have to do double, triple, four-time shifts, almost back to back, and they have no days off and they've been working for 10, 15, 20 days straight. That's going to start taking a toll. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And it's, um, I think we're, when we play, we're actually, there's a lot of research on play and and how it activates our genius and our intelligence and I think a lot of us who are performers, whether we're writers or, you know, or just thinkers or physicians or musicians or whatever, we, I think we realize that when we have that downtime and we have playtime, we sort of reactivate our creative energies, ideas come to the fore and there's so much magic that happens. It's a very active, those playful sort of being off restful times are actually very active there's a lot of dynamic things going on on the inside yeah
0: we see that we, see, the, really we see that all the time with the kids yeah oh yeah when you know when they're learning yeah. songs and when they're they're doing all these things they're playing, but they're really learning like we have a two and a half year old toddler and it's amazing the amount of things that he picks up and that he learns and now that he's you know He's had a lot more screen time than he normally does on the positive is that, you know, when he sits down and he watches some videos on YouTube and then the next one is in Portuguese and then the next one is in French and then the next one is in, and I don't speak Portuguese, I don't speak French, but then he's picking up words and he's picking up a couple of the concepts. It's crazy for me, but, but for it's him, awesome. it's, it's just, it's just like a nature, yeah. right? Right,
2: right. He's playing. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. That's great. He's having a good time. Now let's talk about movement. And uh, I remember that Jim Quick, he's a brain expert, memory expert. He has a saying that goes, uh, the brain that moves grooves. So, you know, he he says that, that that's a great cognitive exercise and people who are physically active have higher cognitive responses. So What else have you noticed?
2: It's just, yeah, I mean, it completely turns on neuroplasticity, which is the process of the brain growing and changing and making more connections and what have you. I mean, I think it's so relatable when you just think about the physical body, what happens to us when we are moving versus, say, getting into a seated position and remaining static. We need to move for blood to flow for our nerve signals to flow. I mean, we need it to for the flow of all the different types of energies in the body that support us and keep us vital and and vibrant. When we sit in a static position, I suppose you could say even if we're standing or or in any um, position where we stay for a long period of time, we're literally shutting off blood flow. And one of the keys to moving blood throughout the body is actually moving and moving our muscles. That's actually the mechanism for moving blood. It's not just the heart is pumping. We actually have to squeeze our muscles to get the blood and the lymph and all the body fluids flowing. So yeah, movement is pretty remarkable.
0: Plus it allows us to maintain our muscle. And I'm always surprised whenever I see another study about this, but consistently. Longevity is linked to muscle mass. And it's not about being a bodybuilder. It's just the truth of the matter that people who keep muscle for longer live longer, period.
2: Yeah, and you could we could hypothesize all kinds of reasons why that would be. I mean, those are obviously people who are moving and they're vital. And, you know, there's so many uh, benefits to moving. Yeah, so being able to get up off the floor, right, without assisting yourself is associated with an increase, uh, longevity. You've got to have uh, global,
0: uh, strength in order to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And the next chapter is something that, you know, obviously we talk a lot about diet here and you talk about it, not as diet, which I really like, and we're going to get to that in a second, because most of the time when we talk about diet, it is about number one, it's all about losing weight. And number two, it's about what should I avoid? What should I this? What should I that? But you face this whole chapter and this whole concept in, in a very interesting way, one with which I completely agree with, but can you share with us a little bit more about your idea about eating for vitality?
2: Right. So I think it's just simply looking at food and food molecules as information that has a specific things to communicate with our body in terms of you know, turning genes on and turning genes off and supporting uh, metabolic pathways and what have you. They're communication molecules. And so it's about using food in a way that supports us optimally. So yeah, there will be elements of having to think about, well, what do I take out of my food plan? Yeah, I tend not to say diet is a supercharged word, right? So I tend to say food planned. <laughs> um, so we do have to consider what gets out, and what we want to put in, and what foods are the most nourishing in terms of creating energy, right? What foods might be irritants that put the you know, our roadblocks to making energy, what foods support our microbiome, the bacteria that live in our gut and are on our skin and throughout our body that turn out to play a key role in our overall health. So, you know, food's a big topic. But yes, I like to think about it as information rather than just, um, I think that's probably what you're talking about is just that, you know, it is information that has a dynamic inner relationship with how our body is running.
0: Is exactly. Yeah. And it goes against the common knowledge or the, the not knowledge, but the common idea of, you know, there's good foods and there's bad foods. And if you eat bad foods, you, you know, you get bad results. And, and if you want positive results, you just need to eat some of the good foods. But then we look at, you know, and I've interviewed different experts here. And you look at the fact that certain people thrive on what would be bad foods for somebody else. So, And I've shared this example here before. I grew up in Mexico. My family is Mexican. My wife grew up here in Spain. Her family is Spanish. She thrives on rice, paella and all that stuff, and breads and, and things like that, while for me, they don't suit me and I put on a lot more weight and I don't process them as easily and I don't benefit from that. So I think that approaching this whole thing from my perspective of good foods and bad foods, we wouldn't be able to eat anything in our household because you know, half of it would be bad for me or for her. However, when you look at it as information and when you're eating to nourish your bodies and to give your body what it needs, then it takes a completely different approach because you realize that there's room and there there are times for some of these things. I mean, there's not a lot of time for Coca-Cola and, and crap like that, but but Even then, that fits in the fact that, you know what, I'm eating for nourishment. I'm eating for vitality. I need the right information at this time.
2: And it's going to be different for each one of us. We all need different things at different times in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I do best when I don't eat any grains. And when I keep simple carbohydrates to a minimum, that's how I feel the best. That's not true for everybody.
0: Totally, totally. Um,
2: and we just have to recognize that and work with people on that level. There are are no one size fits all protocols. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. And be okay with that. I spoke to Angelo Poli, and he does body transformations. So he has dieted over than more than 20,000 people. He's, he's the guy that, you know, movie stars go to when they need to put on weight or lose weight for a role or, you know, athletes, depending on off season and off uh, post season. And that's one of the things that he said, listen, every single diet works because every single thing that you're going to see from every diet is a group of people who claim that that's the only diet that worked for them. And it's just that the fact that that was the diet they needed right then and there. Because when people repeat a diet, a lot of times they don't get the same result a second time because their life is different. Their needs are different. Their their metabolism is different. So I think you made a great distinction to put it like that and to name it like that because you're absolutely right. Diet has this negative, weird uh, connotation that that is not serving a lot of us. Now, we've got two more areas, two more domains uh, missing. And, and, and flow is one that I really like. Because it's one that is not often addressed in these type of books. And it is about, you know, your emotional wisdom. So how did you come up with this one? How do you discover that this was such an important area to address and to focus on in order to regain health?
2: Because I would see it in my clients. You know, they'd show up with some area of their life emotionally that was stuck or maybe they had unresolved grief about something, or they had forgiveness issues about some people in their life, something that was sort of keeping them very stressed, and high alert, keeping them from sleeping, you know, whatever, it was having a negative impact on their current life and their current existence. And it just became clear that that is such an important part of our overall health and our well being. And we can't ignore that, though it gets in the way of You know, it gets in the way of what we're trying to do and the progress we're trying to achieve with helping people achieve their optimal wellness. And so it became clear to me that people have, at least in the United States, have a difficult time feeling, especially the negative emotions, have a really difficult, we distort them, we're uncomfortable with them, they're not allowed, we judge them. So therefore, they're like stuck and they're trapped, (laughs) you know, when they're okay. If you're super pissed off at your husband, there's probably a good reason for it, right? So let's look at that. Let's let those emotions flow. Let's look at them. Let's see what wisdom those emotions have for us. And that's what I've come to learn is that emotions are sort of a primordial form of wisdom that we really need to pay attention to. Now what we do with them is important. We're not just going to spew our anger all over, you know, other people, Right. We've got to be responsible adults about our feelings, but we need to feel we need to feel it's really important.
0: And understand that the fact that we're feeling anger means that there's something going on in our bodies. And it can very well be external about something that happened from the outside. And our bodies is, you know, we're triggering this because we need to remember that emotions have a physical, tangible counterpart in the shape of, you know, neurotransmitters and hormones, and there are things that happen in our body. So when we feel sad, there is a physiological response. It's not just an abstract thing that is happening. And same is true for the opposite. A lot of the times, physical issues that we may be having, our brain might be releasing certain things that are triggering emotions. And that's why we feel tight, or that's why we feel sad, or that's why we feel anger right? So that's why it's so important. Absolutely. We've got one more to go. And that's where we go full circle. And it is, you call it rice and it's about finding your purpose. Why is finding a purpose? And anyone who's done personal development will have heard this. You know, you listen to Tony Robbins and he's like, oh, you need to have your purpose and whatnot. But why is it so important Not just when we want to achieve something in life, as we normally hear from personal development, but when we want to regain optimal health.
2: Because that's what people want. And I came to realize that that's what people would actually tell me when I would ask them what their goals were for our working together. And they would blurt things out like, you know, I want to be, I just want to be myself again. Or I just want to be the, you know, I want to have a great relationship with my daughter or my son, or I just I want to be the best that I can be. So their aspirations for healing and energy and improved health all seem to really encompass, you know, meaning and purpose in life. I think that is really what people aspire to, you know, when you whether they're, they're not always conscious of it, you know, they may at first say, I want to, you know, get rid of this pain, I want to, you know, but really, the I think the deeper goal typically is that they want to live the fullest life possible. So that's why I included that, because I feel like that's what people actually want. And that's where optimal health takes us is to fulfilling our potential. And I think fulfilling our potential is so often about meaning, purpose, grace, and awe.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so here's the thing. Normally, on every episode, I ask our guest a couple of pieces of actionable advice that our listeners can start putting into practice right away. In this case, I'm not going to ask you that because I think that there's nothing more actionable that they should be doing than to just head on out and literally just buy this book because depending on where they're at, they will find something here. And I really liked the one of the appendixes that you put over there with your heel exercises because I think these are incredibly powerful and these are things that pretty much any person can do because you very well said it. We all have aspirations. We all want to live our fullest life. So it literally does not matter where we're at in this health journey or in this whole spectrum of health. We can find something and we can be better. By following these exercises, unless, unless you have something very tangible and actionable besides that, that you think that pretty much anyone could and should start doing right away.
2: Well, buy the book, it's called heal I
0: you, huh? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Buy the book. And then just, uh, I don't, what do people need right now? It's, it's, it's so hard. People need different things at different times. But I think every, particularly people who felt like they have been suffering and maybe felt like there's been something missing. They need hope. They definitely need hope. And especially during this time, I think the pandemic has really been hard for a lot of people worldwide and um, we need hope. We need hope. And I think that hope is a decision really. It's just the decision that we're going to become full participants in our lives and full participants in, in making our lives better. And there might be just one. I, I, I love the rule of threes, okay? So we can't do everything at once, right? We just can't do everything at once. So don't go out and buy my book and try to do everything at once. That's not the, that isn't even the purpose for the book, right? It's just about finding three small things that you identify yourself that you need and that you want and just start putting them into practice, just three small things. Three is a power number for the mind, for human engagement. And it's simple. So it keeps things on a, on a very simple level. None of us can do super big, complex things all at once. None of us can do everything at once. We're not multitaskers, regardless of what we try to do in our lives every day, right? <laughs> we regardless of to...
0: what we tell ourselves, right? <laughs> That's
2: right. So yes, so just pick three small things that are just meant for you and get started. Get going. It's all great. That's
0: perfect. That's perfect. (laughs) And I completely agree with you. Like I said, that's why in this one particular case, I thought, you know what? I think the best thing that somebody can do is, is, is just get this book because you don't need to be suffering from something specific in order to benefit from it. There's something for everyone in order to improve and optimize their health. And that's why I liked it so much. And, Before we say goodbye, I do want to acknowledge you for the work that you've done and for the enormous amount of love and energy that you've clearly poured into this work and into this book. I think that it has the potential to change a lot of lives. And I do absolutely want to acknowledge you for doing that. Thank
2: you. Thank you. It was a labor of love for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm sure it is. It's incredibly thorough and I've really enjoyed it. I've read pretty much all of the book, all of what I've read, I've enjoyed uh-huh. so far. Thank you. And I'm Thank sure you. that most of our listeners who do get it will enjoy it as well. Where can people find out more about you? And I don't know if you're currently, you know, if you're working with people outside of your clinical practice, if there's a way for them to get in touch with you and work with you, or how can people learn more about Karen Shanks?
2: People can go to my website, karenshanksmd.com. Karen is spelled K-A-R-Y-N. So karenshanksmd.com. And I have a lot of articles there. Um, There's more information on the book. The book is called Heal. It's available on Amazon in both print and Kindle versions. And I'm in the process of putting together a course on resilience, which uses the nine domains of healing as as the framework. Information about that will be on the website as well. That should be launching in the next few weeks or so working hard. Wow, that's
0: great. So we'll definitely have links to all that in the show notes. And in this episode's description, you guys know how this works. So just scroll down in your podcast app, and you will be able to find those links right there. You can just tap and go directly to those different resources that Dr. Shanks just shared with us. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and for taking the time to share this with us. One final question. Did you have a good time here on the Highway to Health Show?
2: I did. I had a fantastic
1: time. Thank you.
0: (laughs) That's great. That's what I like to hear. (laughs) To everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you here next week.
1: Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health Show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to D-R-E show. Again, that's Dr. E show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping
0: you live ageless. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Dr. Karen Shanks. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as she and I explored how you too can heal. Now, I want to know, what was your favorite takeaway? Which one of those nine steps resonated with you the most? Tag me on Instagram or connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think. And by the way, remember that you can find the links to everything we discussed in this episode in the show notes. You'll scroll down to this episode description on your podcast app and tap on the appropriate link. Speaking of links, remember to check out podcastinbox.co for all your podcasting needs. If you're a busy entrepreneur looking to grow a personal brand and instill trust in your clients, there's no better way to do it than with a podcast. To learn how the team at PodcastIntoBox can help you do just that, simply head on over to podcastintobox.co and find out more. Oh, and if you already have a podcast but find it hard and time consuming to keep up, they can help with that as well. Seriously, and well, I might be a little bit biased here, but they're amazing. Just head on over to podcastintobox.co and let them know that Dr. E sent you. That is it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Dr. Karen Shanks and Dr. E talk about the nine steps in the roadmap to recover your energy, reverse chronic illnesses, and claim the potential of a vibrant new you. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health, and I'm your guide to get you there.